Turning the lens of the radio camera on the vast panorama of downtowns across Ontario. Zooming in to capture the living memories of main streets before they are lost forever. Traveling across the province in our storymobile for your tales of... Butchers and bakers and candlestick makers and buildings and heroes and side roads and weirdos and bars and stars and roads and cars and shops and cops and people who rock. Because what we have found is everyone around has one or two telling tales of the town. Come join us as we take a walk walk down down Main Street. Welcome to Hamilton. I'm Roz. And I'm Allison. There are many main streets to walk down in this fair city. And over the next three years, our Storymobile will be visiting as many of them as possible. For our first installment, we headed to the epicenter of Hamilton's Renaissance and to a street that's changed nearly as often as the fashion trends over the last hundred years. Think about the old Hotel Hamilton, which is now the Mulberry Street Coffee House. The Armory, the Art Crawl. That's right, it's time to take a walk down James Street North. Let's start by taking you way back, long before the Art Crawl was dreamed up, to when James North was a major destination for Italian immigrants moving their families to Canada. Here again, the one thing you, when you came here, this was, Picton Street was a lot of Italians. And just in September, October, all you smell is tomato sauce and grapes. Now you know I'm trying to paint a picture. This was, uh, this was Little Italy. So this is where I grew up. 525 James Street North. So this is public housing. All around us, there was a lot of Italians. Down Macaulay Street here, there was a lot of Italians. You can always tell the Italian houses because they always had immaculate brick and they always had some sort of concrete ornament or something, right? And a saint. On the east side and on some of the west side, it was very heavily Italian. Surrounding this was Italian. You know, now we have community gardens, but everybody was just planting gardens. That was just part of being here. But why do you have a backyard? The backyard is to grow stuff. <laughs> Then you get your tomatoes, you get the thing, and then make wine and the sauce around the autumn. And that's all you smell. On James Street, uh, just a lot of small shops. James Street was La Piazza for the Italian men to walk up and down and uh, have discourses uh, uh, as they walked. There was a number of uh, cafes, and they would be local hangouts for the, the guys. Tell you, go, go, go get us uh, espressos and keep the change, which would be like a buck or something like that. I used to make about about 10, 12,000 coffee a week. Espresso coffee and cappuccino, all that. Women would be at home preparing their meal and the guys would be out socializing. So there were a number of little clubs and it was all regional. So if you came from, from Sicily, well, that, that was a fraternity in itself. Or if you came from Calabria, that was, so they all had their clubs. Think of Goodfellas. And they argued and talked very loud and they were big men. You couldn't move them, they feared nothing. But the one on Murray Street was strictly for the people from Rakamuto. So that street now is called Corso Rakamuto. It was bustling. The street had life to it. If you want to experience Italian culture, you got to have an espresso. Oh, yeah. You know, you have one? <laughs> okay, well, you we'll, and her are going to, I'll take care of that. <laughs> you take care of her, I'll take care of her. Okay, no, you want an espresso? No, you want, you gotta yeah, have could be dangerous here. It's dangerous, right? Dangerous for beautiful women, right? Okay. Yeah, you know. So, like I said to you before, I've been in business for 43 years. 
It's been a lot of stories, there's been a lot of fights. <laughs> People just getting thrown out and bleeding and going back in. It was just the way things were, like it was normal. It wasn't like, oh, someone got into a fight. Yeah, yeah, everybody got into fights. <laughs> that was the way it is, right? So starting here, this wasn't Fisher's Pub. It was called the Majeska House. So this was a very poor neighborhood. So the first thing you, you'll find that almost on every corner, there was a hotel. <laughs> Joe, where's your father? At the hotel. You know, Hamilton, especially the North End, was a, a very uh, blue collar type, you know, it's the steel workers. A lot of people worked on the boats, longshoremen, you know. This is where they came and unwind and got drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the memories I always had, and the smell, I'm gonna be, be very graphic here, the smell of beer and urine. <laughs> and cigarette smoke all together other than that and stepping over the drunks <laughs> but when i came in this country the things were pretty rough because you know they they went through with the cars hey you walk you know what i mean so people look at it when they used to come around and walk they went to they would get a beating you know what i mean because everybody thinks that uh, the, all the times they're, they're they're mafia this is not true there is people like me, it, it, it came to Canada 51 years. I've been working for 51 years. That's all I've been doing since I was a kid. Now, you know, you look at it, it's just stupid. But in the particular moment, they were kind of hard because you're trying to make it in this country, you know what I mean? As much as I'm, I'm painting this picture, you also had a picture of a village of a family where everybody took care of each other. It was just, and it wasn't like something like big and you know, it's in the newspaper, oh, good Samaritans, no. That was his life. You just took care of each other. I remember a Corsini. Very specialized in Italian foods. It smelled like bacala. Bacala is a salted cod. <laughs> Corsini, he was one of the greatest uh, Italian uh, person because he helped a lot of Italian people. <laughs> he was an old man, uh, Peter. They asked him when he went for the, the citizenship. He said, who's the Prime Minister of Canada? He says, Corsini. <laughs> okay, my name is Ron Corsini. I was born in Hamilton on February the 12th, 1951. I grew up with three sisters, and we all lived above the store. My grandparents, my mother, father, my three sisters, myself, and one bathroom. So, but we made do. James Street at that time had a number of little mom and pop grocery stores. And they were all from different regions of Italy. So the Sicilians would come to our store because uh, we were Sicilian. Parmigiano, Romano, uh, Pecorino. Our olives came in uh, like wine barrels. It was packed. There were things hanging from the ceiling. Uh, there were things on the floor, uh, in the window because it was that small. After the war, when the influx of Italian immigrants came over uh, from Italy, a lot of them came over with a dollar in their pocket, saw a familiar Italian name on the uh, grocery store and would come in and my father would assist them, gave them credit. They had a brother or a sister here and they wanted the rest of their family to come over. My father would sponsor them. It gives me great uh, sense of pride today that when people come up to me and say, gee, if it wasn't for your parents, I don't know what we would have done. And I don't know of anyone else that did that. Um, it was in the, the 70s that the, uh, you could see immigration peter off. Uh, so 
then you could see the change in the neighborhood happening. You know, all of a sudden, the little Italy that I talked about earlier no longer existed here. The Italians were becoming successful from hard work. They were moving out of the neighborhood and wanting to go up the mountain. And the, the, the piazza-like atmosphere of James Street, well, Lime Ridge Mall became that. Um, but my father uh, lived and died on Simcoe and Bay, and my mom as well. No, I, I, yeah, I miss it. I have fond memories of it. Uh, it's time for a change, and you have to accept change and, and move on. So it's been, uh, it, it was beautiful, I tell you. It, it's been beautiful. Uh, now I gotta stop. <laughs> While the Italian community may have moved on, the Portuguese soon arrived, reviving and brightening the neighborhood with markets, festivals, and amazing natas, aka Portuguese tarts. Let's take a peek inside the Portuguese era of James Street North. Portuguese dominated James North, and you can still very much see that the Portuguese community is alive and well. My father came over in 1965. I think we came to uh, 242 James Street North. I started walking over to James Street and I walked into a store and they were speaking Portuguese. The Portuguese loved the James Street. See, the James, the James Street is like back home. So, uh, so all the people meet and I come for a coffee. He joins themselves around there. Then I walked into a restaurant and they were speaking Portuguese and I thought, what's going on here? I had not a clue. This was two weeks after I moved in. I didn't have a clue that I moved straight into the heart of Portuguese community in, in here. So that works for me too because I can get my salted cod and my sausages and all that. So. All the Portuguese are from Canyon to Barton. I say 70% of the business, yes, all Portuguese. Yeah, we got the church, we got the Portuguese church over here, we got the band, a marching band, we got the restaurants here, we got, we got another one over there, another, what is it, another one or two up there? We got everything. There's a Portuguese seafood restaurant called O Marinheiro, and uh, which I guess is Portuguese for the sailor. I'm not sure what it's called. What was the sailor restaurant called? Minheiro? O Marinheiro, yeah, that was one of our favorite. My wife and I, when we started dating, this was 15 years ago, we would go every Friday to the yeah, O Marinheiro. They moved back to home to Portugal, actually. That's what they ended up doing. You would go in there, and you would get this platter of like homemade french fries, and then every kind of fish and seafood battered and deep fried. Yeah, 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 great spot. We'd always want to sit near the kitchen too, because it was so alive, right? I missed that uh, home marinara. That was a great little spot, and a really affordable uh, night out. It was a great little restaurant. It'll go in there and get a meal for 10 bucks and leave completely full. That was probably the reasons why we went. You could get that uh, platter for two, and it had all the fish you wanted and shellfish, and it was a great, uh, great spot. It was awesome, and um, about half the times we went, there would be a fight. You know, and somebody would have a chair broken over the top of their head. And I think one time somebody was thrown through a window. Like, it was, it was never a dull moment. You'd be sitting there shielding your plate from the flying glass because you really wanted to finish it. <laughs> and Noel Marinara just became our spot. We were there a lot. We were well known there. 
It was a very long time ago, but I do remember they had like a sailboat in the in the, in their in the front of their window. It was very small. Bare walls and cheap tables and chairs, and um, you know you could sort of look through and see into the kitchen. It was just a. You went there because the food was fantastic. That was that was all it is. It didn't even particularly look open from the outside. Well, even the windows would steam up. They had a, a finer dining, and I'm using my two fingers on each hand, uh, in the front of the joint. But there was a couple of tables, it seemed, for the locals, uh, closer to the kitchen and off to the uh, uh, southern side of the small uh, restaurant to begin with. And it was to the side of the kitchen. You would often hear debates going on in the kitchen. It was a family operation. It was just great. It was. It was, uh, I mean, it was exactly what it sounded like. It was really good Portuguese seafood and uh, a reasonably good chance of, uh, of witnessing a fistfight. Uh, but it was noisy, and uh, when you ordered your food, you could smell and hear it and feel it being made, which, which like, you know, you, you, a lot of restaurants now have that open concept. They kind of were that. They, they, didn't, they weren't wide open, but the door was wide enough and you could kind of see in. You know, you're sitting there, you're enjoying your meal, you're chatting with the person and all of a sudden, you know, you sort of feel like, oh, there's a change in the, there's a change in the, in the, in the, in the you know, the, the whole, the whole tone of the room shifts and everyone just kind of, everyone's ears swivel. Your senses were alive when you went to that particular restaurant. You know, and the one table starts getting louder and louder and then somebody sort of stands up and really aggressively in the chair sort of slides back and the other person kind of pounds a fist and then they stand up and then, you know, the swearing starts and then, you know, and then somebody picks up a chair and hits the other person, or those, you know, fists are flying. At one time, I think I, I, I you know, it, it, I've told the story so many times, I've wondered actually if I've maybe embellished a little bit, but I seem to recall somebody throwing somebody else through the front window of the restaurant out onto the street. actually born and raised in this beautiful city of Hamilton and my father being the president of the community I he really wanted us to learn the traditions and culture of the Portuguese because see I came over 17 years old but I never forget the things back home you know uh, she liked to, uh, we got the marching bands marching band is playing music on the streets you know those festivals it be started by a group of people came over don't speak English so we don't for he started the own band we call it the Hamilton Portuguese band. We too try to carry on our traditions. We have about 15 events per year. Um, that does take us to other cities, how, uh, but we have about seven of our own here in Hamilton, and each parade does come up James Street. There's all the traditions of what we do um, after the parade. We all get together and we have a lunch together, and these people all come down to this area because our church is just up the street. And so it's very, very important. So we use some of the back home tradition. Growing up, being able to go to a restaurant, have a homemade cook meal like that was really nice or even soccer games world cup euro cup and, and getting to all these portuguese bars and watching the soccer game together and seeing the the involvement with everybody and rooting on that same country right it's really nice too i have so many memories of being a little girl walking in these parades dressing up as in costumes and walking on a hot sunday afternoon in the middle of summer <laughs> Whether, you know, I look back now at the time, I didn't want to do that, but now I see what the importance of, of, of that was all about. The most recent revival of James Street North has seen the arrival of artists and businesses of all cultural stripes. But there's one building in particular that played a significant role in the renaissance of downtown, and its history might not be what you expect. 
let's head to the corner of James North and Mulberry Streets to explore the Hotel Hamilton. Many people are like, you're crazy. Why would you want to open there? Like, you know, three months after opening, there was a double stabbing, a block down at Five Star. I was locked in the cafe for 12 hours because there was uh, the crime scene, the blood splatters went up and down the side of the cafe around the corner. It was, it was, yeah, it was like a pretty crazy day. And I remember just being like, have I made the wrong choice, you know? Uh, Ella Shepard, owner and manager of Mulberry Street Coffee House. I remember it as a, um, when I was in the army, it was a uh, beverage room. Okay, I'm Roderick Noble. I was born in February 17th, 1947, and I am now retired. You know, I, it was called the Drake Hotel. So there was two doors. One was labeled gentlemen, and the other was ladies and escorts. And there were neither gentlemen nor ladies in either section. And there was rooms upstairs for rent, some by the hour. <laughs> it was a joke over at the Arby's. So what do we do? Should we go over to the Drake and get ourselves a girl? You know, things like that. And um, yeah, I've had a couple of guys come in who are World War II veterans, and uh, they tell us stories about how they would dance with the ladies and go upstairs to the hotel rooms. And like, you know, like, I was like, oh my god. So yeah, a lot of history in that building. So yeah, hotel, then laundromat. Maybe it was something in between, I'm not sure. And now when they were selling it, the Drake Hotel in Toronto actually came and had a look at it because they were thinking, wouldn't that be nice to have two Drakes, you know? But apparently the outrageous amount of uh, renovation needed to be done, so they passed. The pictures of it as a laundromat are amazing. They're, yeah, baby purple, 1950s theme. And that was run by Ron Burridge. Did you, have, did you meet him? Reverend Ron, six foot four redhead, very bright, very intense, one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. He did a lot of things. He was he was a hairdresser, he was a, an entrepreneur, he, uh, he was very active in the gay community, and then of course he ran the rooming houses upstairs. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the basement, there's a lot of drawings that he's done. Apparently he used to do exorcisms. There's a lot of ancient script written in the basement of the cafe. So yeah, I'm also scared of the basement at night. Um, side note. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go down there. Yeah, it, I mean, it has, a, I'm sure you've heard, like a, a crazy past. And uh, Reverend Ron was a super quirky dude. I I have mixed impressions about like holding seances upstairs and, and all sorts of weird business. Uh, Jeremy Freiberger, a cultural planner. We were asked to work with a team of investors to to develop the Hotel Hamilton space where the Mulberry is. So there were a lot of people in the community that kind of were pissed off that we were walking in and changing that space, that we were removing people from living in the neighborhood, that, and that they had a great amount of respect for Reverend Ron, and I was quite vocal in saying exactly what I'm saying now, that is, I, I don't care. I don't care what good he did in the community, that, or that if he thought what he was doing there by letting those gentlemen still live there, if he thought that was good, then our definition of good drastically needs to change in the city. The ground floor was a, a laundromat kind of hangout space. Uh, the upper floors was a flop house by all definitions. There were uh, 19 rooms, so there were three or four guys still living in there. Uh, multiple rooms that hadn't had anyone permanent living in them for eons, where there was still furniture and feces and food. I remember the lead up to the World Cup and uh, just 
before this building was done. And there would just randomly be a naked guy who would appear in a window, just standing there looking at the world. It was a gut job. I was going through during construction and you could stand in there and you could look two floors down through just floor joists. They literally ripped the building apart. I mean, the day that they actually the new owners closed on the building, they had to remove someone who had died in the building. It was pretty dramatic. That's one of the few times I left a building wanting to call public health and say like, People shouldn't be, sorry, <laughs> people shouldn't be living like that. Um, I think there are times when um, acts of gentrification are actually what is desperately needed. <laughs> so we were actually the first, my, my company was the first tenant in Hotel Hamilton in the office section upstairs when it was converted from the old hotel, flop house, laundromat kind of whatever it was um, and so we moved in and they were still framing in parts of the building and it was loud and noisy and stuff and uh, then shortly after maybe two months later Mulberry Coffee House opened and that was the first anchor tenant new coffee shop that moved into the street um, and that changed everything because suddenly there were people who made this a destination who who didn't live nearby didn't even have an office but they would make a point of coming to James North, suddenly there was life on the street. It's just a lot of young people that have moved in. I mean, that's the biggest, biggest difference. Like, I remember sitting out front, like, with my dad just a couple weeks ago, and he's like, my God, you know, like, look at all these people. Like, where did they come from? And I was like, I know. And it's, I think that's what it is, is that younger generation have moved into the downtown core, you know? Like, people who want to invest in the community, they want to buy houses, they want to live in apartments, you know? Yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. What used to be kind of rentable bedrooms has now been converted into uh, creative offices and studios and stuff. Fantastic tenants, you know, architects and artists. And the ground level has this incredible coffee house. The story of the cafe being local entrepreneurs continuing their success and growing to another location now in the hands of Ella and great, a person that literally lives blocks away and the space is upstairs, those people being moved on to better accommodation that will better care for them um, still in the neighborhood. If that's a negative thing, then I guess you can sign me up for being Mr. Negative because I'm all for that. Well, we've wound our way through the past 60 years of James Street North and now, dear listener, we arrive at the almost present. Time to take a listen to the story of the street festival that started out small and ended up super. Yep, this is the history of the James Street North art crawl. One of the first memories I have of being in Hamilton was um, driving along Burlington Street at night and like watching, you know, flames like come out of the rooftops of, of uh, steel making buildings and uh, we were playing the downward spiral by Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> which was like the perfect soundtrack for this, you know, post-apocalyptic industrial wasteland we seem to be driving through. In the arts scene, in the 90s, people started referring to Hamilton as the hammer, and then that jumped across to the music scene. You know, the tragically hit would come and say, oh yeah, we love to play the hammer. And then by the 2000s, it was just being used generically to refer to Hamilton. And I think it started with the art scene, and I think it started with the gallery called The Hammer, which was on James North. James was hit really hard by the recession of the 90s. I think Lime Ridge Mall probably did more to hurt downtown than anyone has ever given it credit for. I mean, it had the impression of being a place that was kind of rough and tumble, right? Businesses were closing. Uh, windows were boarded up. Stagnant, drained. The affluent Italian and Portuguese families were moving to the suburbs. 
I remember the, the, the lead of the story that I wrote uh, was that you know a street's in bad trouble when the beer store can't even survive. We were the oddballs out on the street. We happened to inhabit a couple of spots. There was like Loose Cannon. Dana at Loose Cannon. Center 3 was just getting on its leg. Rice at You Me. Sublimatus. The Hamilton Artist Inc. folks. The Blue Angel. Print Studio. And then you had Dave Kirk's art supply store. And I thought, this guy's crazy. At that time, people were doing openings, but they were doing them separate nights, right? We all said, look, you know, if we coordinate a night where we all do an event, you know, you bring 25 people, I bring 25 people, you bring 50 people, we're going to have hundreds of people here. Even in the uh, initial days, we tried to, to be more organized than agreeing on the date for the art crawl. But it seems as if that was a major accomplishment, you know? down to an art crawl in 2000, probably 2005, 2006, and it was friends of mine from Waterdown who'd gone to St. Mary's High School in the West End, and uh, it was one of her high school friends had a show, and uh, we were super tickled. We'd heard about this thing called art crawl, and none of us had ever been down yet. All of a sudden, you walked down the street, and there's just these bright lights, so it just felt like, you know, the eyes had, the eyelids had, had popped on all of these shops. And there was this like live music coming out from all like the little art galleries, little vendors here and there. You know, we would have poetry readings or have music or have amazing art installations on the wall. The lights were on and people were wandering around having a good time. You know, people settling, tie-dye, baby aprons or, you know, like little like knick-knacky stuff. Like, and it was very, very homemade. Like everything was like, you know, somebody had been like crafting for weeks. They lived on Etsy. It was their life. Um, and it was very intimate. And you kind of knew everybody on the street and you would say hello. Like I couldn't walk from my house um, to James Street without stopping at least 10 times, which was so wonderful. I know that would might bother a lot of people, but I just love that small town feel to it. And people were just kind of like, kind of like looking up. I remember always saying like, it's amazing how people just look up because they haven't, there's so much heritage on the street. It's beautiful, you know, like even sitting here now, like the, like the wainscoting and like, it's got this like insane acquired history, this whole neighborhood. So we'd have kids walk by and, you know, they'd ask their parents, what is that? And the parents would look at it, oh, it's some kind of art, right? So here we were like engaging with the community. And like I said, even even if they felt like they couldn't come into the storefront or they didn't want to, they were being exposed to something that wasn't James Street of the past 30 years. There was some vibrancy in the air. There was people, and it was people my age. It was people that looked like me that were having a good time, which is to say it, it just felt like community again. Uh, and not to say there wasn't community before, but didn't feel like my community, that's all. So, um, and it felt like things were starting to percolate. I sort of saw the street go from that very vibrant, the center of the city, to dormant, to the revival today. And I ran into a buddy of mine, just in the middle of James Street during Supercrawl. He sees me, we greet each other, he goes, what happened? I go, what do you mean? He says, look at all these people, what happened to James Street? And it was just people said, let's do something. It wasn't a grand plan. There wasn't a grand design. It was a bunch of younger entrepreneurs and artists saying, okay, enough complaining, let's do. It's funny because if I would have said 15 to 20 years ago to my pals, 
let's go down to James North. Well, Jay, come on, it's, you know, that's had its day. Now they come home and say, let's go down. They say to me, let's go to James Street North. And I, I couldn't feel more pride, you know, I mean, it's fantastic. The problem is some people call that gentrification and we're destroying the neighborhood. And you think, okay, wait a minute, we need to, we need to work on this definition of gentrification. Because too many people say, oh yeah, once Starbucks moves in, the street is ruined. It's like, well, may, you know, maybe there's some truth to that. But what about everything before that? Like, is every change that happens bad? When I come down to the yard crawl, I look around and I said, where were all these people when I was growing up? A lot of people at that time would never even consider coming down uh, to James Street North because why? Why would they do that? But now I look around and I see a lot of faces that I've never seen before. And it's a good thing. It's positive. And it all started, you know, with one little gallery on street, you, me gallery. And he opened up just up the street and I said, what is he doing? Like, he's asking for financial ruin opening up down here. Who's going to buy art on James Street? And look what it turned out to be. Thanks for tuning in. To hear more tales and find out when the Storymobile is coming to your town, visit www.thetaleofatown.com. Special thanks to Cobalt Connects, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Ontario Trillium Foundation for their generous support of our project. And to everyone in Hamilton who supported our performance installation at Supercrawl and took the time to share their stories. You can find a complete list on our website. The Tale of a Town is created and produced by Fixed Point and developed in collaboration with the National Arts Centre to capture the collective community memory of Canada's main streets, one story at a time. This episode featured original music by Jake Nickel and Poddington Bear and was produced by Charles Ketchabaugh and me, Alison Proverman, in collaboration with Roz Mugford. Thanks for listening. <laughs>